Why do I say it is a good time to be alive? Well, I, I see some things happening, and uh, you know, I, I think is what's happening is we're being forced to make our own decisions. You know, I, I grew up in the denominational church, and I've been reading through all oh, the first books of the Bible. What do you call them? First books? What? Tor- no, Torah? The first five books of the Bible? Anyway, and they said, uh, you know, all the people, especially when Moses was leading them away, they says, we don't want to hear from God. We're afraid of God. You know, you hear from us, and you tell us. You know, it took us a long time to get over that. Catholic Church is pretty strong in that, and even denominational churches are strong in that. If, you got any, if, you're, any, if you're a rebel, why well, you don't like denominational churches, okay? But if you're kind of a follower, you have a tendency, what does the bishop say? All we have to do that. We don't have to think for ourselves. I'll tell you, our world is becoming to where you realize you're going to want to think for yourself now. Don't just take what everybody says, just do this. Think for yourself. And I think, I think that's what we're supposed to do. You have to make a decision. I always said when we get before the great throw, white throne judgment, you're going to stand there. You're not going to have your wife by you. Not going to have your daddy by you. Your husband, your wife, you're going to be standing there. And the Lord's going to say, what do you do with Jesus Christ? And so I think it's time we start learning to make our own decisions. Listen, read the Bible. I'm going to read a few scriptures here. Somewhat Paul has written to the churches, well, just some of his writings. And if we start getting a hold of the Bible and concentrating on that, you're going to start feeling the courage to make decisions that's not just following everybody else, not just following suit. Well, this is scientific. What's biblical? That's what we want to know. First one I have is Romans 8:38. It says, for I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor death, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You get a hold of that one, and you're not going to sit around fearing that someone's going to come and, what, take God's love away from you? Not going to. 1 Timothy 1.12, the last part of it. It reads, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. You get a hold of something like that. You know, Paul, you know, we think we got it bad. You know, we, we live in America. Everything's supposed to be free. I'm going to give a message sometimes on, sometime on freedom. What does freedom really mean? You know, we think we're free in America, so about the time we get a little bit of a push in one way or another and people try to tell us what to do, we think, ah, must be the end of the world. Well, I'll tell you, back in the Bible times, they, Rome put a lot of pressure on them, and, well, they thought it was going to be the end of the world, too. And it might be. All I know for sure is today is closer than it was yesterday. I can say that for a fact. And one more verse I want to read here, Philippians 4, 6 through 8. It says, Be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brother, whatever things are true, whatever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, 
Whatsoever things are of good report, if, you have, if there be any virtue, and if there be any praise, think on these things. You say, how are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to think? What are we supposed to look forward to? Who are we supposed to listen to? What are we supposed to do? Don't let fear cause you to make rash decisions and just follow the crowd. Think on God things, and you make your decisions. You got the same Bible I've got. You got the same Bible everybody's using here. Look what God said. Think on them things. You'd be way much better off. That's why it's exciting to live in these times. We're going to see some very defining who's following Jesus, who's not. Used to be America was, hey, we live in America. We're Christians. I tell you, it's starting to define out who is and who isn't. And you're going to get the op- I believe we are going to get the opportunity to share our faith a little bit stronger, a little more. So it's a good time to be alive. God's still in control. He loves us. Gives us a lot of promises. Let's pray. And I'm going to have the worship team come forward and lead us in some song. Loving Father, I want to thank you for this day. Thank you for this group of people that have chosen to meet here to lift up their praise to you. May we honor you, Lord. May you be blessed. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Good morning. You can stand with us if you'd like. Good morning and welcome again this morning. Thank you. We're going to go back to Judges, but before I do, um, I, forgot, I forgot to make an announcement about Children's Church next week is going to go back to co- combining everybody together, and I will be looking or asking or seeking for a volunteer to teach that. So if anybody has, feels led to do that, uh, come and talk to me or one of the elders. Um, I would like to stop, though, before I get started and just pray for our country. Uh, I feel like we did that a lot as we were leading up to the election, and I feel like we have kind of stopped, and we don't need to stop. We need to continue to pray for our country. So I'd just like to do that if you'd join me in that. Father, thank you so much for this land that we live in, for the place that we live, and the freedoms that we enjoy, and it feels like sometimes our freedoms are slowly being taken away. Lord, I just pray for our leaders. I pray for President Biden. I pray for Governor Inslee just pray for all the people that are in charge of our state and of our nation. I just pray that you would bless them. I pray, Lord, that you would use them to further your kingdom. And I just pray, Lord, that they would seek you for their wisdom. Thank you, Father. Help us to remember to lift them up often. In your name we pray. Amen. So, yes, it was a long night. Last night I got a little bit of sleep. Um, I'm looking forward to possibly this afternoon being able to take a nap. <clears throat> but we're going to look into the Word. We've been going through Judges. Uh, I've taken a couple weeks break because we had uh, Palm Sunday and Easter. And now we're going back to Judges. We're going to read in Judges chapter 11 on April 11. So just a FYI. But at the end of Judges chapter 10, 
I want to read just the last few verses. I'm going to read a few verses, and then I'm going to talk about it, and then read a few more, and we'll kind of go through the story that way this time. So at the end of chapter 10, it says, Then the people of Ammon gathered together and encamped in Gilead, and the children of Israel assembled together and encamped in Mizpah. And the people, the leaders of Gilead, said to one another, Who is the man who will begin the fight against the people of Ammon? He shall be head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. We need to find someone that can lead us in this fight. And if we can find someone that lead us, that will lead us, we will put him in charge. And this is where Jephthah enters the picture. Remember, we had just come off of God saying, you know what? I'm tired of saving you. I'm not going to save you anymore. You ask those gods that you're serving to save you because I'm done. I'm not going to do it anymore. But they kept crying out to him and they kept seeking him and he just couldn't stand or handle to see them in that position. And so he came and he saved them again. Now we're going to enter into the story of Jephthah. Jephthah is very well known for his vow. And we will get to that, but we're going we're gonna to look at, at the story leading up to uh, the vow that he made. So Gilead, the leaders of Gilead, are looking for someone to lead them into battle. They're not necessarily seeking God so much as they're looking for a person. So let's read uh, the first three verses of chapter 11. It says, Now Jephthah the Gileadite was a mighty man of valor, but he was the son of a harlot, and Gilead begot Jephthah. Gilead's wife bore sons, and when his wife's sons grew up, they drove Jephthah out and said to him, You shall have no inheritance in our father's house, for you are the son of another woman. Then Jephthah fled from his brothers and dwelt in the land of Tob, or Tob, and worthless men banded together with Jephthah and went out raiding with him. So here we enter Jephthah, and he was born of a different woman of a harlot. That's what it says. And so all of his brothers, all would have been stepbrothers in this case, when they grew up, sounds like Jephthah was born first. And when all these brothers grew up, they said, you know what? This guy is from somebody different. He's not from our mom. We're going to kick him out. And they kicked him out. It does say right at the beginning, though, that Jephthah was a mighty man of valor. So apparently there was something that was seen. This is, reminds me again, if you go back to uh, Gideon that we just talked about not too long ago, that's what God called him. And here's Jephthah, a mighty man of valor. But his family kicked him out. His brothers kicked him out. They said, you aren't going to have any part of the inheritance. We don't want anything to do with you. Get out of here. And they threw him out. And it's really interesting to me that... Um, he banded, and worthless men banded together with Jephthah and went out raiding with him. Now, several weeks ago, we talked about Abimelech, and this is the same phrase used to describe Abimelech and what he's doing. Worthless men gathered together to do who knows what they wanted to do. It didn't have anything to do with what God wanted them to do. But this is, it's interesting to me that this same phrase is used with Jephthah because God is going to use Jephthah later on in this chapter. So Jephthah, he's bands together with these other men. Again, it sounds familiar. So uh, let's go to verse... So just before I go a little bit farther, it sounds like Jephthah is a man without a home and without a family and without a future. They kind of get kicked out. He didn't have a family. He didn't have a home. He's raiding around with this group of worthless men. He didn't really, there was really no future there. And this is where Jephthah is at right now. We're going to go now to verse 4 of chapter 11. It came to pass 
after a time that the people of Ammon made war against Israel. And so it was when the people of Ammon made war against Israel that the elders of Gilead went to get Jephthah from the land of Tob. Then they said to Jephthah, Come and be our commander, that we may fight against the people of Ammon. So Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, Did you not hate me and expel me from my father's house? Why have you come to me now when you are in distress? And the elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, This that is why we have turned again to you now that you may go with us and fight against us, against the people of Ammon, and be our head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. It's interesting to hear what they're saying. So all of a sudden, the people of Gilead are in trouble because the people of Ammon are coming to attack them, and they're looking for someone, like we saw in the end of verse 10, that could come and could fight for them. And so what do they do? Why? I, can't, I still can't quite figure out why they would send for Jephthah. They kicked him out to begin with, and then all of a sudden they find themselves in a situation where they need someone to lead them into battle. He was described as a mighty man of valor. Maybe that's the reason that they went to get him. It it's kind of reminds me of uh, the people are searching for um, someone to save them. In, previously in Judges, they would go to God and cry out to God, and almost in the same way it looks like they're crying out to Jephthah, not God in this case, but in the same way that they had been crying out to God. It's just interesting to me, but they tell Jephthah, hey, if you come and be our commander, that you come and be our commander that we may fight against the people of Ammon. In the end of chapter 10, they said, you, whoever we find will be head over us. And then when they talked to Jephthah, they changed their phrasing just a little bit. And they said, if you come, you can be our commander. You can be in charge of our army. You can be in charge of our military. They kind of changed it because they weren't quite ready to commit fully and allow Jephthah to be in charge of everybody. They didn't really want him to rule over them. And so Jephthah said, what's up with this? You threw me out originally. Now all of a sudden you find yourself in a situation where you need some help and you come back to me. And there is where they changed their thought again, and they said, that is why we have turned again to you now that you may go with us and fight against the people of Ammon. And it says, and be our head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. So they realized that he was questioning, why are you asking me to come back now? And so they kind of changed what they were saying. Uh, if you come back and fight this for us, you can be our head. You can be our leader. <laughs> now, uh, one interesting reference that I saw in this was it refers back to Luke chapter 17. This guy, Jephthah, had reason to be upset with them. He had reason to not want to do this for them because they threw him out. But in Luke chapter 17 and verses 3 and 4, It says, take heed to yourselves. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times in a day returns to you, saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. So it's interesting to me just the, re the reference to this in that, yes, if people are willing to come and repent. I don't know if these people were repenting. Maybe this was their way of doing that, coming back to Jephthah and asking him to come and help them. But God is still saying, hey, if people are willing to come and repent, if your brother sins, it, asks, it says to rebuke them. But if they repent, we're supposed to forgive them. And we're supposed to continue to forgive them if they're willing to repent. It's an interesting correlation that I found there. Why have you come to me now? 
Jephthah says, why now? All of a sudden, you find yourselves in a, 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 you having an issue with somebody. You need someone to lead you. Why do you want my help now? I can understand. Have you ever been in that position? You can understand that. Nobody, somebody doesn't want, even sometimes as we're growing up and, and, and our parents are trying to offer us advice or whatever, and we're like, no, you know, when you're 17 or 18 or whatever, you kind of know everything. And all of a sudden, you get to be 25, 26, and you realize, you start to realize that, or maybe you have your own kid, and you realize, <laughs> I don't really know anything anymore. And then you know who, do you, who you go to? You go to your parents? You go to your peers? The people that you thought didn't know anything when you were a little bit younger, and all of a sudden you go back to them? Maybe this is what's happening just a little bit. They're realizing what is going on. They're realizing, hey, we need some help, and we really feel like Jephthah's the person that can do this. So uh, verses 9 through 11 is where I'm at now in chapter 11. So Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, If you take me back home to fight against the people of Ammon, and the Lord delivers them to me, shall I be your head? Because he's questioning because they had said, First, you can be the commander of our army. Then they had said, Actually, no, if you'll do this and we win, you can be the leader over us. So he's wanting to clarify what they're saying. And the elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, the Lord will be a witness between us if we do not do according to your words. Then Jephthah went with the elders of Gilead, and the people made him head and commander over them. And Jephthah spoke all his words before the Lord in Mizpah. So we always talk about Jephthah's vow, which we're getting to, and the vow that he made. But here's another vow that's being made. And they're saying, yes, if you can lead us to victory, we will put you in charge. We will give you the position of being in charge. And Jephthah says, um, are you really going to do this? How, how do I know that you're really going to do this? Because they're, they're committing to doing this, and then they are using, they're making this commitment not based on God. They're, using, they're bringing God into the equation because it says the Lord will be a witness between us if we do not do according to your word, but they're really looking out for themselves. They're really wanting him to come and help them fight this battle. They're not really, want, they're not really asking, in a sense, God to help them. They're asking Jephthah to help them, but they're bringing God into it for their own gain. And I think that there's a lot of times that I probably do the same thing. You get in a situation where Things aren't looking so good. Maybe we have a rough week and, and we're not sure what to do. We don't know how to handle certain things. And so we make these promises about what we're going to do. And these guys are, you know, that will benefit us. We're looking at it from the perspective of how is this going to help me? Not necessarily how is this going to further God's kingdom, or how is this going to bring glory and honor to God? No, it's, we get selfish, I get selfish, how is this going to benefit me? I want to know how this is going to benefit me. So then in uh, the next section is where negotiations begin. So I'm going to read a section here, uh, 12 through 22 in chapter 11. Now Jephthah sent messengers to the king of the people of Ammon, and saying, What do you have against me, that you have to come fight against me in my land? And the king of the people of Ammon answered the messengers of Jephthah, Because Israel took away my land when they came up out of Egypt from the Arnon as far as the Jabbok and to the Jordan, 
Now therefore restore those lands peaceably. So Jephthah, sent, Jephthah again sent messengers to the king of the people of Ammon and said to him, Thus says Jephthah, Israel did not take away the land of Moab, nor the land of the people of Ammon. For when Israel came up from Egypt, they walked through the wilderness as far as the Red Sea and came to Kadesh. Then Israel sent messengers to the king of Edom, saying, Please let me pass through your land. But the king of Edom would not heed. And in like manner they sent to the king of Moab, but he would not consent. So Israel remained in Kadesh, and they went along through the wilderness and bypassed the land of Edom and the land of Moab came to the east side of the land of Moab and encamped on the other side of the Arnon. But they did not enter the border of Moab, for the Arnon was the, border, was the border of Moab. Then Israel sent messengers to Sihon, king of the Amorites, king of Heshbon, and Israel said to him, Please let us pass through your land into our place. But Sihon did not trust Israel to pass through his territory. So Sihon gathered all his people together, encamped in Jahaz, and fought against Israel. And the Lord God of Israel delivered Sion and all his people into the hand of Israel, and they defeated them. Thus Israel gained possession of all the land of the Amorites who inhabited that country. They took possession of all the territory of the Amorites from the Arnon to the Jabbok and from the wilderness to the Jordan. So he's telling the story of what happened, and this story is back in Numbers. The Israelites had just come out of Egypt. They'd come across the Red Sea, and they're heading to the Promised Land, and they're trying to get get across to the promised land, but they didn't want to go through people's land without asking permission, which that's a fair thing to do. It's probably good. Rather than, you know, go into it and have the army attack you, it'd be better to ask permission first. And so that's what they were doing in Numbers. I'm not going to turn there right now, but in Numbers chapter 21, this is what they're doing. They're asking for permission. A couple of people denied them permission, so they had to find a different way. And then they cast King Sihon and he denied them permission, but he did more than that. He got his army together, and he came and attacked them. This is the children of Israel when they're, one, when they're in the wilderness and they're headed to the promised land. And he just came and attacked them. And so what is Israel supposed to do except for fight? And so they fought, and they won, and they beat them, and they took over their land. This is where they had gotten this land. And when the negotiations here start with Jephthah, they are saying, can you just, uh, the Ammonites are saying, can you just give us back our land? And Jephthah says, we won this land. You attacked us. We won. It's our land. No, we're not going to give you back the land. It's not yours anymore. <clears throat> so they're accusing them of stealing the land. This is all based on what happened in Numbers, and this is all coming up again. We want our land back. Well, it's not your land anymore. And so it's really interesting to me in 23, or let's see, 23. I'll read 23 through 28 now of chapter 11. And now the Lord God of Israel has dis dispossessed the Amorites from before his people Israel. Should you then possess it? Will you not possess whatever Chemosh your God gives you to possess? So whatever the Lord our God takes possession of before us, we will possess. And now, are you any better than Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab? Did he ever strive against Israel? Did he ever fight against them? While Israel dwelt in Heshbon and its villages in Aurora, Aror, and its villages and in all the cities along the banks of the Arnon for 300 years, why did you not recover them within that time? Therefore I have not sinned against you, but you wronged me by fighting against me. May the Lord, the judge, render judgment this day between the children of Israel and the people of Ammon. 
However, the king of the people of Ammon did not heed the words which Jephthah had sent. There had been a lot of time that had passed since Israel had conquered them and taken their land. And he said, he mentions 300 years. In these 300 years, why did you not try to come take it before then? Why now are you wanting to try to come take it? But it's really interesting to me that he says, why don't you ask your God to give it to you? Chemosh is the God that they're serving. Why don't you ask him? Because our God... The one true God that I've been talking about in Judges here, the one true God is the one that gave it to us. You go ask your God. But wait a second. Your God is not the true God. He can't hear. He can't see. He can't do anything. Our God fights our battles for us. He may use us sometimes to fight them, but he does the fighting if we're willing to follow him. Why don't you ask your God to give you the land? Why are you coming and trying to take it from us? Our God gave us this land. The God, the one true God that we serve, he gave us this land. Why don't you go talk to your chunk of wood, or whatever he was made of this time, and ask him to give it to you and see how that works for you because probably he's not going to, probably nothing, it's not going to work. Why do you have to fight for your God? Because the God that I serve, Jesus that we serve here, that we just celebrated Easter, he's the one that does the fighting for us, not the other way around. We don't have to fight for him. He does the fighting for us. Go ask your God to deliver it to you. The God we serve, the one true God, will fight for us. I like a couple of verses in Exodus chapter 14 that we're going to turn to very quickly. So the Israelites have just come out of Egypt. They're stuck at the Red Sea. And chapter 14 and verse 13, it says, And Moses says, said to the people, Do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall, you shall see again no more Forever, the Lord will fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. So the Israelites are at the Red Sea. The Egyptians are coming behind them, and God says, don't panic. Hold your peace, and just stand still and watch and see. Watch God. Watch the one true God that has led you out of Egypt do the fighting for you. These Egyptians that are chasing you, never going to see them again, because God is going to fight the battle for you. And all you have to do is stand and watch what God can do. And that is really hard to do sometimes because I like to do things myself. I think I can take care of it myself. I think I can fix this problem by myself. But why is, that the, why is it the last thing that we do is we ask God to fix, help us figure out the answer to something? Why is that sometimes the last thing that we do? We exhaust everything that we know, and then we ask God, when in reality, it really should be, we should ask God first, and we may save ourselves a lot of headache and a lot of trouble by just asking him first what we should do. Give me the wisdom to know how to fix or deal with or whatever the situation might be. Watch and see what God can do. Watch and see what God will do. Because he's alive 
and he's still, he's still with us, he still lives with us, he still guides us. These other gods, they can't answer any prayer. They can't deliver any, any victories for them. But our God can, and our God continues to do so. We heard about miracles that are happening today uh, from Jera this morning. Just different things that are happening in the way that God lines things up, the way the Holy Spirit directs us in the way that we go. There's no coincidence in these things. Now we're going to get to the vow that Jephthah made. Now, there's lots of different verses that talk about vows. Another vow that came to mind was um, when Hannah is at the, at the temple and she is bemoaning the fact that she has no children. And Samuel, or not Samuel, but Eli is there and he thinks she's drunk and she's not. She's really praying and asking God to send her a son. She makes a vow, if you give me a son, I'll give him back to you, okay? That's a vow that was made. Well, you gotta be careful with vows that you make. That can be a, a dangerous thing. We're going get, to get into that with what Jephthah did. <clears throat> so we've established the fact Ammon is not going to back down. They're going to attack. They're going to try to take what they think is their land. They're going to try to take it back. So verse 29 of chapter 11, and this is what we best know Jephthah for because Jephthah is always, the name Jephthah is always correlated with Jephthah's vow the vow that he made. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah, and he passed through Gilead and Manasseh, and he passed through Mizpah of Gilead, and from Mizpah of Gilead he advanced toward the people of Ammon. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord and said, if you will indeed deliver the people of Ammon into my hands, then it will be that whatever comes out of the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the people of Ammon shall shall surely be the Lord's, and I will offer it up as a burnt offering." So Jephthah advanced toward the people of Ammon to fight against them, and the Lord delivered them into his hands, and he defeated them from Eror as far as Mineth, twenty cities, and to Abel, Kirmim, with a very great slaughter. Thus the people of Ammon were subdued before the children of Israel. Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah, and he starts leading the people into battle. But for some reason, for some reason he had this need to make this vow. And you know, I can't say that I've never been, I've not made a vow like that, and I don't intend to make a vow like he just made. But still, there's times in your life where you're working with something and and, and things aren't looking very good and you're not sure what to do and, and you just tell God, you know what, if you get me out of this situation, then I'll go to church or then I will serve you or then I will turn my life over. Have you ever been there in that situation? Probably do it more often than what we care to admit. If you just help me here, then, because all we can see is what's right in front of us. Because we've lost our perspective on life. We've lost our perspective. We forgot that we're supposed to keep our eyes focused on Jesus and not on the storm that's going on around us. Because if we keep our eyes on Jesus, maybe we don't get distracted by the storm that's around us and maybe we don't feel the need to say, God, if you'll get me out of this, I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'll go anywhere you want me to go. You've heard that before. That's a dangerous thing to say. Because what if God all of a sudden says, I would like you to go wherever it might be. What are you going to do then? You made, this comp- you made this promise or this vow. Are you going to keep it? Be careful with what you vow. Ecclesiastes chapter 5. 
verses 2 through 5, it says, Do not be rash with your mouth, and let not your heart utter anything hastily before God. And catch this part. For God is in heaven, and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For a dream comes through much activity, and a fool's voice is known by his many words. When you make a vow to God, do not delay to pay it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you have vowed. Better not to vow than to vow and not to pay. And the interesting correlation on this passage right here jumps to Ananias and Sapphira in the New Testament. And Ananias, if you have not heard the story, there are watching people that are selling their land and they're giving their money to the church. And they're thinking, this looks, this is good. This looks really good. Maybe we'll get some recognition for what we've done. And so they agreed together to sell the property, but they agreed to keep part of it and tell them that they're giving all of it. That did not end well for them. They both died because they lied to God. It's better not to make a vow than to make a vow and not keep it. God is in heaven, and you, we, are here. Now, that right there should tell you something. We're not in heaven. You know, it's really interesting to me that way back in Genesis, what did the serpent say when he came to Eve? If you eat this, you could be like God. You could be God. And we still are fighting that same thing today. God is in heaven, and we are here on earth. I don't know if Jephthah thought that with this vow he could impress God. You ever try to impress God? It doesn't work. He doesn't, he's not impressed. We need to stop trying to impress God. I was thinking about this, and right off the bat, I thought, well, that doesn't really sound quite right. What, you know, but, you know, if we think that by what we give or by how we serve or by the things that we say, if we think that God's going to be impressed with that, I'm not sure if that's the right word. Because a lot of times we do things here on earth to impress other people. And in doing that, do we not also do it to try to impress God? We just celebrated Easter. God loves you regardless of what you do, regardless of what you say, regardless of how much money you give to something. It doesn't matter. There's no reason to try to impress God. He loves you. He already loves you. That's established. That's concrete. That's not going to change. God loves you. He does. Nothing, we, we, nothing that we do can make him love you more. Nothing we do can, to, to try to impress him will make him love you more. And I don't know if Jephthah is thinking, you know, if I can, I'll make this vow. And, and I don't know what he was thinking for sure. But then again, sometimes some of the things that I say, I don't know what I was thinking either. So there's no reason to say stuff like that. There's no reason for Jephthah to have to make this vow, but he does. God is in heaven, and we are here on earth. I'm going to finish reading the story here in just a second of what happened. <clears throat> I want to read 
Matthew chapter 5, verses 33 through 37. It says, again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oaths to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king, nor shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair black or white. But let your yes be yes, and your no No, for whatever is more than these is from the evil one. You can't change the color of one hair on your head, so why do we think that trying to impress God will change what he thinks of us? Because he already loves us. We know that he loves us. Back to finish chapter 11. Verse 34, When Jephthah came to his house at Mizpah, there was his daughter, coming out to meet him with timbrels and dancing, and she was his only child. Besides her, he had neither son nor daughter, and it came to pass when he saw her that he tore his clothes and said, Alas, my daughter, you have brought me very low. You are among those who trouble me, for I have given my word to the Lord, and I cannot go back on it. Now, I don't know why he's trying to blame this on his daughter. That's what it sounds like. He's trying to blame it on her. She's just excited to see her dad come home, and then he's trying to blame it on her. So she said to him, My father, if you have given your word to the Lord, do to me according to what has gone out of your mouth, because the Lord has avenged you of your enemies, the people of Ammon. Then she said to her father, Let this one thing, let this thing be done for me. Let me alone for two months, that I may go and wander on the mountains and bewail my virginity, my friends and I. So he said, Go, and he sent her away for two months, and she went with her friends and bewailed her virginity on the mountains. And it was so at the end of the two months that she returned to her father, and he carried out his vow with her, which he had vowed. She knew no man. And it became a custom in Israel that the daughters of Israel went four days each year to lament the daughter of Jephthah, the Gileadite. The big question right here that a lot of people, and I've wondered the same thing, did he actually sacrifice his daughter? which really doesn't make a lot of sense because Jephthah, in the area that he was raised or that grew up, he grew up with this band of no good people that raided the gods that they served. Human sacrifice was seen as a good thing. But the one true God, in his eyes, that's not okay. Human sacrifice is never okay. There was only one human sacrifice that was made that was okay, and that's when Jesus came and he died on the cross for you and I. That was it. No other time was a human sacrifice okay. So in my mind, I'm trying to ask, why would God allow a human sacrifice in this instance? It doesn't specifically say whether he does or he doesn't. And here's the point. It doesn't really matter. The point was, is that he came home and his daughter, he did in the same and I don't know, I don't know, maybe he did. I'm not saying one way or the other, but in the same sense that Hannah gave Samuel back to God, maybe that's what happened. Maybe he sacrificed her on an altar. I don't know. Maybe he gave her back to God. All it says is that that was his only daughter, and his family line did not go any farther because that was his only daughter. It's the only child that he had. And his family stopped right there. That was a pretty big sacrifice in those days when your family line stops. And so my point is, it doesn't really matter whether he did. I think sometimes we can get hung up on these little things that really don't make any difference. 
The idea was that, yes, he fulfilled his vow to God because he gave her back to him. Whether it was physically or whether it was however it was, I don't know for sure. It doesn't specifically say. It does say that he's going to offer her as a burnt offering or a burnt sacrifice. But then later, it doesn't specifically say how he did it. There's lots of different ways to look at that. But it doesn't really matter. I think this is in a way that we can look at things that are taught, things that are, we read in Scripture that... Whether he did or he didn't doesn't really affect my salvation. The story's in here for a reason, and I think part of it is to help us to realize let's not make these vows. Let's not make rash vows to, even to God. Let's not do that because usually it's only to, to, to benefit us. We're only looking at it to benefit us. I'm looking at it to benefit me. I would only do it to see if it's going to help myself. Why don't we focus on who Jesus is and what he's done? Because he gave the ultimate sacrifice. John 3 and 16, it says, and for God so loved the world. We've established that. God loves you. Nothing that we can do to impress him will cause him to love us more. God so loved the world that he gave his, only, his one and only son that whoever believes in him shouldn't perish but should have everlasting life. That's what matters the story of Jephthah is a reminder. Let's not make these rash vows. Don't do it. It's not worth it. It doesn't ever end well. And if you make a vow, then you've got to keep it. If you make a promise, then you've got to keep it. God's not impressed with those things. He says it's better not to make these. So the story, Jephthah's vow, it's there. We just read it. It's a fun story to read through. It makes you really think about what was this guy thinking what did he think was going to come out of his house? Maybe it could have been an animal that came out because they did keep some animals in their house. That was very possible. And I'm sure he was hoping that was what was going to come out. But when he made this vow, I'm sure he wasn't thinking that his daughter was going to come running out. But let's not even get ourselves into that predicament. Let's think about these things before we promise, before we make these vows or these promises to God. It doesn't change the fact making a vow, again, is not going to make God love you more. Because God loves you regardless of what you've done, regardless of who you are, regardless of where you've been. God loves you. And I am so thankful and so grateful for that. I just want to encourage you, be careful the things that you say. Be careful the promises that you say. Be careful the thing. Talk to God. Don't be afraid to talk to God. But be careful in the vows that we might be inclined to make. Stand up, if you would. <clears throat> Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love this morning. Lord, I thank you that you love us regardless of what we've done. Lord, you've taken our sins, past, present, and future. You have dealt with them already. You have removed them as far as the east is from the west, we just praise you for that this morning. I pray that you would help us to bask in your love for us. Help us to have a desire to serve you, not because you're going to love us more, because we are so filled with your spirit and with your presence that we can't help but want to serve you. I pray, Lord, that you would bless our week. Guide us as we go from here. I pray that you would give us opportunities to share your love with people. I pray that you'd help us to see them and to be aware of them. Thank you, Father, for loving us. Thank you for taking care of us. Just pray that you would guide our week. In your name we pray. Amen. Turn around and shake somebody's hand. You can be dismissed.